Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, this episode was recorded previous to the election. We have a really great conversation that I had to share between Suba Agarwal and Dominique Quinn. Just a little extra episode for your election stressful days. Suba Agarwal is back. Suba has written for Comedy Central's The Jim Jeffries Show and Comedy Knockout on True TV, amongst others. You can also catch her stand-up, her late-night debut on NBC's A Little Late with Lily Singh. As well, watch her on season three of HBO's Westworld. Dominique Witten. Dominique is a seasoned face of funny in America. She created laughs on stage across the world, including NBC's Last Comic Standing, HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam, Comedy Central's The Chappelle Show, which, by the way, you'll be able to see again on Netflix. Catch her stand-up special, Stop Me When I'm Lying. It's available on Amazon Prime. We are now a part of the Be Frank Network. You like that incredible new sound? You do? Well, to be frank, that's the Be Frank Network. I want to thank all of our listeners or friends like us because of you. We make some pretty impressive lists, like Oprah Magazine rating us a podcast that every woman should hear. We thank everyone, of course. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Read us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and our Twitter is friendslikeusten. Leave us a tip, donation. Go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. We also have new t-shirts and face masks with the new logo available. Go to marinafranklin.com and get yours today. And with Friends Like Us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Most important, tell someone you know to check us out and wash those dirty little hands. Oh yeah, and wear your mask. And welcome to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. I want to say today is a it's a rainy day in New York City. I don't know if I should mention this, but we had a guest that canceled last minute. Um, but we're going to continue because we have an election coming up and it's important that you get these conversations in. I'll say it. We had the guest that was supposed to be on. Hopefully she'll be on in the future from the Shade Room. So hopefully you will listen to that episode when it happens. It will happen someday. You know what? I need to stop acting like I'm a reporter anyway, Dominique. And remember, <laughs> well, that's, I'm what, that's what you're after, though. So that's pretty good. You have to do that. You have to do that. You think I like so? That. I like that. You're putting in all that language. So when you do your daytime show, and uh, you'll be ready, you know, you'll be ready to go. Okay. I have a question for you right off the top, Dominique, because I know you've worked for the postal system before. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's been going on with me this week. I had. I'm selling t-shirts for the podcast. This is a t-shirt and face masks from my home. And I ordered pickup. (laughs) I know I'm like putting you in a position and they didn't pick up my mail. When when did you order the pickup? Well, I ordered it on Thursday and they were supposed to pick it up on Friday. They didn't come. And I put it in the mailbox. The woman who drops who picks up the mail and drops off the mail she went all around the package and put 
the new mail in there but didn't pick up the package. <laughs> it seemed like it's your delivery woman. <laughs> Some people lazy at work of Marina. No, I, I don't thought you put it around. I didn't know she did. You picked up everything around it except for your package. Everybody doesn't work at the same level. You know, some people lazy at work and she's like, I'm not. No, I'm not. Not today. But it's been a whole week. I don't know. I usually just take my stuff to the post office or either I'll, if I drop it off to them on the street or something, I'll go straight up to their truck so they can just put it in their truck, whatever I have. And well, especially I, with the things going on with the election, with the ballots and all that, everything else at this point, like, it's pretty much secondary. And then it'll, it's, the mail is going to start getting slow anyway going into November because it goes into the holiday season. Now, I don't know if people are really sending Christmas gifts like that this year. I don't know about that, but that's usually what happens. But you'll do better dropping it off. You'll probably get more act right, especially if you're delivering on the lady that's walking around mail like she doesn't see it. Probably not the best work. Probably. I rescheduled it for a new pickup. See, I'm scared to go to the post office right now. I'm scared to go inside. Why? Because oh, of COVID and all that. Oh, okay. So uh, I've been staying away from inside spaces. But then I, I redid it because I did call the postal service. Mm-hmm. Now, this is USPS, right? Which I didn't realize. This is how ignorant I am. I was like, is that the postal? Wait. I thought... Post office was just post office. <laughs> I was like, USPS? I was like, and then I got on the phone. I got on the phone because I'm a bit of a Karen, right? So right, right. I got on the phone. I waited an hour to get someone. And the woman was like, this is the post office. I go, USPS? She goes, yes. <laughs> I go, so what am I supposed to do? They didn't pick. She goes, I would say create a new label. Or no, not create a new label. She said, I would do a new service of pickup for the next day. Mm-hmm. And But she just seemed, t- on the phone, she just seemed over it. She was just yeah, like. She probably was. Because yeah. all they're concentrating on right now, really, if it's not a ballot or if it doesn't have anything to do with November the 3rd, then it's just like, how you? it's going to be all right. Because they already have, you know, suppression going on in the post office. Well, yeah. I did get a call. They did finally pick it up. This was yesterday. So after Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, they didn't pick it up. They finally picked it up on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And the woman called me because, you know, I wrote in. I, I'm a letter writer. That's good. So I wrote I wrote several letters. <laughs> <laughs> you ready for, look, you already ready. You're going to be the perfect, like, old lady. You know what I mean? you you're gonna be like the perfect like seventy one year old. You already write letters. You do. It. You're ready. You're gonna be like really able to help the people. Like I'm seventy one and I don't know what to do. You're gonna be like write a letter. <laughs> write a letter. <laughs> you write a letter. <laughs> well, she did. The woman called me yesterday. She said, "Baby, listen, we." <laughs> She said, listen, we short staff, okay? Yeah. And we ain't got a lot of people here. We try to get to you, but we just, we, and then this COVID thing is real, honey. That's what she said. said, I said, okay, I get it. I said, should I wait until after the election? She's like, girl, we don't, well, hopefully this man ain't still in office because we can't do anything with him 
And yeah. and Suba was telling me about the post office. What were you saying on our Instagram? We were talking about that. So Trump appoints, uh, appointed a man uh, named Louis DeJoy, who is per- intentionally sabotaging the post office. Uh, partially because he has financial ties and other mail sorting and delivery companies. So if he was like literally taking out mail sorting machines, because if they have to outsource mail sorting and go to the company that does that, he makes profit. So he was literally destroying the infrastructure in the post office. Like, I think even before he was in there, um, Republicans in general tried to sabotage uh, private services or excuse me, social services. So they privatize so that they can make money, you know, with the company. So like this I'm a little shady on, but they um, there was some bill that required them to pre-fund either retirement or something where it's like it's nothing else is structured that way. So the post office has been operating at a deficit because of that legislation. And just like everything he was doing, whether it be like they were literally picking up mailboxes without explanation. And that is partially because he, yes, he has financial ties to other delivery services, but also because Trump has been trying to sabotage mail-in voting and voter suppression. So Louis DeJoy, who was a Trump appointee, was helping facilitate that by making the mail seem unstable. So making mail-in voting seem illegitimate. So it's like a whole mess. And one of the biggest problems is when you work at the post office, one of the biggest advantages to the job is the hours of overtime that you can work. Yes. So see, when the joy cut off the overtime, he slowed the mail right there. Like your regular, even without suppression, without the overtime that people work, your regular mail would be really slow. Like it's going for you with your package. But the reason the mail is consistent and on time is because people work overtime hours and they're able to work it. Well, if you're able to work 12 hours a day, 13 hours a day or whatever the case may be. And then somebody cuts it straight down to eight hours. That's a lot. You know, that's four hours that's been taken away. So if they just, there's only but so much you can do in that eight hours. And like she said, they already short staffed. And then you take the uh, overtime away. So you got to send them home. So it really backs the uh, mail back up. But like uh, the postal worker you talked to said, hopefully we'll have a different administration after the third. Oh, I loved her so much. She was so yeah. sweet. I mean, I just, I felt bad because I was like, what is going on? I just, I want to deliver my t-shirts out and my masks. And, you know, it was really an experiment. I did it with two people that I knew just to see, because it was first class. It wasn't priority. And she said, oh yeah, she said, you need to do priority for, if you're going to be doing business and selling out, you know, stuff, don't do first class, do priority. And I was like, okay. That's more money, but okay. So don't be cheap, she said. That's what she said, because at least you, it'll move faster. Yeah. Because you pay for it. See, they have to refund you if they don't get it there within the two or three days. You know, they'll be like, okay, well, you can say I want my money back, you know. That's what she said. That's how it used to be. I don't know if it's still like, okay, she said it's still like that. Okay. Yeah, she said, she said, oh, you ain't, if if this didn't get, ain't nobody giving you no money back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love when our people work places and just put it put it the way we can understand. Like it, it. Uh-huh. it was so funny. But I just don't, you know, I don't know. Are you wait a minute, let me go back. Suba, have you met Dominique before? Like, oh my goodness. Oh. I should do a formal introduction. Wow. Well Suba's a comedian. <laughs> Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Suba. Nice to meet you. (laughs) 
she's from Chicago originally, but I don't really okay. ever think so. But yeah, she's from Chicago. She's from where I'm from, but she's from the suburbs. Yeah. Oh, much, much less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> she's not from like uh, the South Side. Yeah. No, no, not at all. More like <laughs> she's more out there by, you know, the improv and all the comedy clubs and stuff out there. I was closer to cows, man. Like nobody, there was nothing going on, you know? You like your champagne or something out there? (laughs) I was like Northwest suburbs. So I feel like I was in between uh, the Wisconsin border and Chicago, almost like equidistant. Okay. Oh, that's risky now. Actually, there's some nice, my friend just bought a home in Chicago, sort of Michigan border, Michigan City, I think it's called, which is really nice. How are you guys doing as far as like, now I've, I've had Dominique, I've had both of you on the podcast and I'm just wondering like, where are you at like right now with performing and are you doing shows? Are you not doing shows? Like what's happening? I've done some, I've done a few out of town on the road. They're trying to social distance the best they can. I think, I think it's still all risky. You know, whenever you're out and you're around people, I try to be as safe as I can. But like, you know, I've always been a germaphobe anyway. So even before coronavirus, I carry I carry this little carry-on bag. I carry two, but my little carry-on bag that I put under my seat, it has all my alcohol and everything in it. But it's been like that before coronavirus. And I've always been Clorox wiping. So I was already taking a lot of these measures before the virus came. But as far as stand-up, um, they can't sell the room full capacity. They don't have them right up on you. I take my own microphone. I don't want to share a microphone. I got the same short mic that you have. I take that microphone with me. I wear my mask up there, do my jokes, put my mask on, and I hit the door until the next show. Like, I don't take pictures. I don't meet and greet. I don't do those close contact kind of things. It's enough just being on stage. So I've done that and I and I've done well, you know, and I I take vitamins and drink a lot of water and try to I don't eat out like, you know, I don't eat out like a lot of people are eating out constantly. I don't know how good that is for your immune system when you're trying to keep yourself from getting sick from a virus. So I choose not to do that. Even on the road, I go to the grocery store. I make sure I stay somewhere that has like a kitchen, you know, a refrigerator and I take my hot plate and I cook in my room. And I eat in my room. So I try to do those kind of things. And I'm and I'm good. I, I didn't get sick. And I fly on the uh in, I fly on Delta. They don't sell the middle seat as of now, and they're only selling uh 60% capacity of their aircraft. So that made me feel more comfortable. And you know, once I got out there though, you realize like because I was in the house, I was still not going anywhere really but the grocery store. But once you start to get out there and get around people, you're like, oh, these people out here like this don't really exist. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird to me. I was like, oh, these people out here like it doesn't really exist. But my experience was it was okay. It was good. Yeah, you're right. I the first moment I walked out of my door, I was like, I thought we were all on the same page. <laughs> I did too, Marie. I was confused. I mean, literally walking out my door and the restaurant, because I'm in Harlem on 117th, the restaurant underneath my building, packed with people, no masks. Oh, no. This was in the summer when we first like 
sort of started to reopen. So I, I had an image of it this morning, actually. It still makes me so angry because they were all like packed in but outside, but they're all packed in with no masks, laughing it up. And I was like, I wrote a letter. Does anyone how many letters? <laughs> uh, 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 uh. I was like, does anyone understand? Is anyone else troubled right. by the restaurant? Right. And the people standing outside. And then some girl wrote, were you, it was a sister too, I could tell. Were you the one that was taking the picture? <laughs> I saw you. I saw you. You need to relax. And I was like, I thought, but I thought we were all on the same page with this. And then sure enough, after the news came in, that was cut. People, the restaurant was like, I think they were fined. You know, what about you, Suba? I've uh, I've been doing Zoom shows and I've done like a, a handful of outdoor shows. Like I have one in San Diego tomorrow, I think. But yeah, no, it's 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 hard. Like they're filming the San Diego set. Like they just happen to have high tech equipment. So I was like, oh, cool. I could, you know do some of the jokes I've been working on. And then I realized how unpolished <laughs> they are. Like, as I'm trying to, it's so hard to so finish hard. a joke in this environment. Like, I'm starting a lot of stuff and it's like, you know, it has moving pieces and it kind of works, but I can't get it tight and polished and be like, okay, this is definitely working and something I can rely on. So I didn't uh, fully grasp how frustrating it was until I started being like, okay, what's something I could actually feel good about, uh, you know, taping. And then I was like, oh, nothing. <laughs> this wasn't good. <laughs> well, I mean, we'll see, but yeah. It's really hard to work like, like the privilege I had was opening for Jim Gaffigan when he took me on the road for three shows and opening for him outside. That's when I realized the Zoom shows, the jokes I was working in, the Zoom shows weren't working on in front of a live audience. It just wasn't, you know, I had to get in front of a live audience. So I don't know where we're going to be as comedians with all these Zoom shows. And I I'm not going inside just because for me right now, I'm just, you know, I'm pre-existing conditions and conditions. Like I have a whole bunch. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got so many conditions, but, <laughs> but I just don't, I, I'm like, I was telling Silva right before I keep getting texts from young comics they dm me would you do this rooftop would you do this and i'm like i don't know you i don't know your safety measures it's you're not a comedy club i don't know it's a risk you know so i've just stayed to one comedy club which is the stand right now and they do it outside and i bring my microphone and i haven't gotten sick since so i only go in with my mask and i've been yelling at them so they the reason they're doing what they're supposed to do is because I'm there. Because <laughs> I, I always yell at someone for not wearing the mask. I'm like, you're not wearing a mask. And they're like, but I'm sitting down. That's what I got once. I was like, you're I sitting care. down. Put yeah. your mask on. Mm-hmm. Care about you sitting down. I and mean, that doesn't get rid of the virus. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Like the virus said, no, pass him. He's sitting down. The virus isn't sitting down. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. What are you talking about? Because in restaurants, you know, they get these rules. So then they go, if you're sitting down, you can take off your, ma I don't, I don't remember that rule, but I guess in restaurants, it's sort of made all of our human rules look so ridiculous to me. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's right. We listen to other people all the time. And really we shouldn't, <laughs> we, should, we should follow our own instincts. So Absolutely. If someone, 
right isn't this the best lesson for that yes. i think that's like so crazy that the rules are so inconsistent that we don't have like good government leadership like that's a huge part of why the virus is out of control in america and i would, i was reading about like new zealand i think it was new zealand uh obviously they oh i'm forgetting their prime minister's name uh jason something uh but she's great and like they're like why do you think you got it under control and it's because people trusted the government and nobody in america trusts the government and nobody and she's a woman Mm -hmm. they say all the places run by women are doing are handling the virus that part i mean and then you go to some places like in New York, uh, Suba, are you in New York or in Chicago? No, I'm in. A, I'm actually in LA now. But oh, you're in LA. No. Okay, so you would understand. So some states have been very, very strict, and you know because the states are so divided, they're divided now into Republican and Democratic states under this administration. So some of the states, like the states we live in, we live in Democratic governor-run states, so they're very strict. But when you go to states, like I went to Atlanta, I went to Georgia. And I was floored when I got there. I'm talking about from the airport. I was like, oh, they just wild badging down here, huh? I mean, it's a restaurant I usually go to and I get crab legs. I was like, okay, I do want crab legs. I'll go back and I'll heat them up. I pulled up to this restaurant and it looked like it was 2017. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. These people are packed up. I would go in the store. Nobody would have a mask on. And I was like, when I got to Atlanta and I saw Atlanta and I had heard stories about people not following the rules and those kind of things. When I got to Atlanta, I was like, yeah, we're going to have to get administration to help us get up out because this is we're stuck here for sure. If we don't have an administration that locks, you know, that sets ground rules and says this is how it has to be or else, you know, and probably which will result in fines. You know, people will take like by, take these fines because they don't want to do what they're supposed to do. But we have to have somebody to help us get to some level of normalcy. And this this administration, I don't know that they're it. They're not it for me. Yeah. I mean, it's like we were saying about, you know, the post office and the problems with the post office. Now, from the Shade Room, we have this article about, well, I, I actually, before I go to that, when I was doing my research on the Shade Room, because I don't really... The reason I had her on and is, well, they asked to be on. I didn't even know, <laughs> but um, it was a compliment. I was like, yeah, I'd love to have, you know, cause my sister, my younger sister, she's like, you know, you don't read the shade room and you do a podcast. You better read the shade. You know, she did all that. And right. then <laughs> and she was like, she's like, you better get that tea. You know, all this stuff. <laughs> Marina, that was so funny about the Joe Biden interview, right? He was talking and she was saying those things. And I was just like, he has no idea what she means. He's just going to keep talking. First of all, he probably didn't have an idea who the shade room was. So I thought that was really cute. And I like that he sat down and talked to them, you know, once they explained to him what it was and that it's a huge platform, you know. But when she said, asked him a question at the end of it, she said, uh, you know, how we're going to get our coin. I said, oh, my God. When, when she said something, she looked at the camera and said, T. I said, yeah, I like I like I like the way she did the interview. I thought it was dope. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, they're all related. Uh, Judith Nwandu and Angie Nwandu. I mean, Angie Nwandu, I was so excited because what a. Uh, 
an inspirational story at this time about someone who started, you know, just from loving something and having real passion about what they're doing and creating a platform within a platform and monetizing on it. And so, yeah, to be able to interview the future president of the United States, like, you know, hopefully friends like us, if I could get my interviewing skills down, because I would be like, um, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Joe. All you have to do is have people with knowledge write you some questions and just sit there and be like, oh, Mr. Biden, Mr. President, and then just read off that paper. (laughs) I know. I'm the worst. I can't read off papers. I'm like, I can't even, I, I, it's like super, you write jokes for people. I'm like, when people write jokes for me, I'm like, I can't. (laughs) That's such an oxymoron. How can you write a letter like that and then can't read off a paper? I know that's so true. But I had, I mean, she's, it's incredible that interview I found with Joe Biden. So the Shade Room isn't a website just for entertainment news. They've also been closely covering the 2020 election. And earlier this year, Joe Biden himself stepped into the Shade Room in an interview with reporter Judith Nwandu. Biden answered questions relating to reparations, the 1994 crime bill, childbirth, mortality rates for black women, and decriminalizing marijuana. With his answers, Joe Biden advocated for himself as the presidential candidate who would best serve the black community. And I find that this interview that was here was better than any of the debates. I felt like his talking points, especially about the crime bill, like, cause I got into sort of a, I get, I get heated when I talk about Joe Biden because people want to like knock him down. And I'm like, this ain't the time, man. That's my point too. I, I, I just don't understand. I was like, why is this the moment though? Why, why right now, when we have this administration, is this the moment to take a stance and decide, oh, we're going to drag the other can It does not make any sense. It's me. like that's important work to do after he gets elected yes. is to hold him accountable to his new positions and make sure he stays uh, with them. But like beforehand, it's like it's so dangerous, like just. I don't know how you could see it as not dangerous, just socially, like forget about policy, which has been incredibly detrimental. Like there's been an uptick in hate crime since uh, Trump took office just because he's normalizing this rhetoric and this hate, you know? So it's just, yeah, no, it's terrifying. (laughs) Get him out of office and then like work to push Joe to hold to those positions, Mr. Biden. But nobody talks because he has the gift to gab. Nobody talks about how the policies are detrimental. They always talk about the Democrats haven't done anything for us. What have have the Republicans done? Well, also- You know, what, 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 tell me really, really policy for policy, what makes them better? When behind all of his rhetoric and him running his mouth nonstop, he uh, he's really instituting policies that are not going to benefit your people. And they just not. Yeah. Also, like this was something Obama was talking about in some interview, which is like a massive point where it's like all of the changes that people are like, oh, but Obama didn't do this, this and this for us. Those were state and city policies. Like when it comes to police reform, that's going to be your L.A. City Council. That's going to be whether you have a uh, 
district attorney who's willing to prosecute killer cops. Like all of these are local elections. So you can't just vote a Democrat into the highest office and then not be paying attention to your local politics because that local politics impact your life more than federal. Uh, They do. So it's kind of one of those things where like you get caught in this catch 22 where it's like, we elected this guy. Why didn't he do anything? It's like, because it's not in his power. Like it just wasn't. Um, Obama tried to implement certain things like in terms of police reform, whether it be body cameras or signing executive orders. But at the end of the day, that's like city policy. And so it's like you have to organize on the ground like that. I want to say that back to this to several people who say what Obama didn't do. I go, let's talk about what he tried to do. Let's let's talk about all the things that he tried to do, because that was the best moment that Biden had in that debate was when he said, why couldn't we do it? Because it was Republican Senate. Did everybody forget they were the party of no? Everybody forget that the Republican Party, during the Obama administration, both terms, they had made up their mind. We're not going to cooperate with yep. him on anything. They were the party of no. Everybody mm-hmm. forgets that, though. And and he still was able to accomplish some things, even with a, 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 a Republican Senate that was the party of no. Well, you, how do you forget that? Because Americans, I think, would prefer to not, you know, uh, this is a blanket statement, but I think I'm right. <laughs> Americans would prefer not to know anything. And so then they wait until the election and they wait until, because like the whole of Trump, right, or why Latinos are voting for Trump, I find like people just like to be entertained and they're bored by Biden. They're bored by the way he, t- like, like, he's not entertaining enough. He's not saying politics. He's not talking politics in the way I like to hear it. Also, though, this is a big thing where it's like, how do these like, oh, the Democrats don't do anything. Like, how does that narrative get into uh, different communities? A lot of that is targeted voter suppression by like making people feel like they can't have an impact, whether it be their vote doesn't matter, whether it be Trump's going to steal the election, whether it be even if you elect a Democrat, nothing's getting done, whether that's based in fact or not, that suppresses turnout amongst liberals, especially amongst people of color. So um, it's like, number one, there are organizations and groups who are like specifically trying to push that message. So people of color do not turn out. That is voter suppression in and of itself. And also, it's not untrue that Black issues have been ignored and not put at the focal point for a long period of time, you know, where it's like politicians talk a big game when it comes to like before the election, but then when it comes to action, and yeah, some of that is because of like being impeded by the Republicans and all these other different, whether it be, oh, they don't have the power to do this and that, but also like, it's hard to look at the progress that's happened over X amount of years and feel like you're actually be taken seriously. So I, I understand, I understand the impulse when it comes to like protest voting or not voting, but it's so detrimental that I feel like you kind of have to take that part of you and be like, no, (laughs) you know, but we can't. But no, but we can't. Yeah. Yeah, And then you have this, the myth of black male voters, because this is what's they're spreading is that black men are voting for Trump. And it's supposedly there's a growing contingent of black men who have been influenced by slavery option expert Kanye West. I love the route. For this reason, I was going to ask the shade what she thought about this, because it seems like this is a shade room. They caption things really interesting, which causes, you know, conversation and debate. 
um, The Root, when you read their articles, they they write it in the way that I've always wanted to read like newspapers. So like when they say expert Kanye, slavery options expert <laughs> Kanye West, so I, I, I'm like, this is so great. And escaped from the Democratic plantation because Donald Trump has taken more black people for rides than anyone since the Lincoln Navigator. <laughs> there is a <laughs> there is a mistaken belief that the liar in chief has managed to gamer a slight but increasing sliver of political support from black men. This support for Trump also stems from their disapproval of Kamala Harris, who is known for her tough on black men record and the fact that Joe Biden wrote the 94 crime bill. So, I mean, he talked about that in that interview in the shade room. Did you catch that about the the 94 crime bill? Do you think overall, I mean, this is also not true about black men voting for for Trump. So some of them do because some of them are just conservative. Like the article said, that's true. But in masses, that's just not it's not factual. I didn't realize like what, what they were saying was happening is that conservative a, a handful of conservative black men went for Obama, even though he was liberal. And then when Hillary was put as the option, they just went back to voting conservative. So it's not like people are like going for Trump. It's just that that one phenomenon, because Obama was such a once in a generation inspirational candidate. We didn't have that pull. So it's more it's less of like they're going for Trump and more of like shit just went back to the way it was. How did you react to Ice Cube? You know, I have to be honest, I tapped out of it because I've just been so like inundated by everything. And Ice Cube just, ah, <laughs> Dominic, did you follow that with Ice Cube or did you just tap out of that too? I mean, I followed it and I'm one that, okay, I'll hear your opinion out. And I think you can have your opinion. I'm not big on, you know, saying, okay, you can't have your opinion and all of those things. But I do believe that with this administration, it can be very divisive. I understood where he was coming from. I don't know if it needed to be said now. I mean, like, why does everybody, I, I guess I'm stuck on now. Why Why does everybody, when all of a sudden we're not getting anything. We're in this big cycle that we're not getting anything. And this is the way it's been for administration after administration and nobody, and maybe it's because of social media and you're able to see everything uh, right away. You know, we have exposure to each other all day long, every day. So maybe that has a, a role in it, but we're not getting anything. But my whole thing is, if you tell people not to vote, what is the other alternative? You know, like Silva said earlier, you know, you get this administration now and you take this administration to task. And while they're in there for four years, you continue to work on that third option that everybody talks about. But it's just not an option to me to say if we don't get anything that we want as a community to not vote. That's not an option to me because that's like saying we want Donald Trump. No, we don't want Donald Trump. This man appointed 900 and something judges, you know, the circuit courts all over the country. You're talking about Joe Biden in the crime bill. So what are these judges that he did appointed? Well, that might as well be the crime bill. Because black and brown people are going to get treated unfairly in this justice system. So you can't say, oh, they're not giving us anything. We're going to leverage. Uh, I, I was talking, I had this conversation with our friend Mark Theobald. 
And he was like, you know, he, we talked about Ice Cube when he was saying that, you know, I understand where he's coming from. If we hold our vote, we get leverage. Okay, but what to what? What are we getting le- to what? What are we getting leverage for? We're holding our vote, and so we're not having, we're not taking, we're not paying, playing a part in the process that our ancestors died for, for one. That's the first thing. We just got the right to vote not so long ago. Legislation is happening all that people don't even know about to turn the clock back on us already, to step us back from the things that we have gained already. So if you say you're going to leverage the vote, but to what? To stay at home? So you, your voice is going to be heard and you're going to stay home and you're going to have the same administration that really doesn't care about you. They've shown that. Yeah, okay. President Trump let some people out of prison. He pardoned some people. But so did President Obama. And he pardoned more people. Okay, they it's pro-life. I had people telling me pro-life. You don't even pro-life. What, what are you talking about pro-life? You talking about a fetus, but the lives that's out here living, we can't even get a stimulus package. People that's out here trying to feed their kids, it's pro-life just feeding, so it's pro-life life in general. Like, this stuff is just, like, nonsense. So, you know, I, I hear where he's coming from, and I think he's on the right path. But I think we have to, we have to, before we can just opt out of voting, we have to clear this mess up, I think, that we're in with this administration. And then you go from there. Don't just say it, people just, like, opting out. But and that's the thing is, like, when they say, like, withholding the vote for leverage, like, voting rights itself are on the table. So if you're withholding it for a later date, there might not be a later date when it comes to gerrymandering, when it comes to uh, what he was talking about with these judges being appointed, like your vote might not count. Like they literally are putting Amy Coney Barrett on the bench. The reason they rushed that and did all that super spreader event shit was because they want her to try and steal the election. So it's like, you're talking about withholding the votes, it'll matter. Democracy is literally crumbling right now. Like it might not matter. There might not be a future vote. So it's, it's dangerous. That's There's a time and a place for that sort of thing, but this isn't it, you know? This isn't it, no. So I had some, there's, they detailed four facts and here's one of them of why black men are, this is not true for black men. Like black men are men. (laughs) Felony disenfranchisement alone, 13% of black men do not have the right to vote. That's one. It also means black male turnout will always be lower because 13% of black men do not have the right to vote. So that's one point. And they said, and because black men are by definition men, a few will always skew conservative, even among the non-white groups that support the Democratic Party. Males are more likely to support the GOP. Hispanic men vote for Democrats, but not as much as Hispanic women, for example. And the same is true for college-educated white men. And even though the vast majority of black men support Democratic candidates, so like it's all in the way they the media presents this to voters and you're right it's like but i think it did cause a panic which is good because it made people go oh shoot or i think even the black community sort of like address the people in their own family you know speaking of this article about family you know not getting along dude i'm done when politics tears families and friendships apart 
A recent survey shows just how much the nation's bitter political divide is causing social splintering and taking a toll on friendships. Even decade-long relationships have been caving under the pressure, giving new meaning to social distancing. I did straight up say, dude, I'm done. Lose my number, said Shama Davis from Los Angeles, recalling when he unfriended a guy he'd been friends with since high school, 20 five years ago and betraying just a tinge of regret about cutting off his cousins, Ricardo DeForest of Tampa, Florida conceded, I hate to say it because family is everything. Before unbashedly proclaiming, I disowned them in my mind. They're not family anymore. I, I'm going to digress for a second. So Trump, he actually appointed 194 uh, circuit court judges, which is a lot. But I mean, when I say 900, I was just really like, I should have clarified that in that statement. I was just like saying it's a whole lot. And as, how many people you think these black and brown people are going to put in jail? With the whole family argument, I'm a person, like I said earlier, I let you have your opinion. You know what I mean? But what you're not going to do is once we talk about it and I say I don't agree with it, it's hogwash to me. Don't keep beating this drum trying to convince me. But if you know me, you should know that that's just not going to happen. Once I believe what I believe and you believe what you believe, I'm going to respect that. And we're going to have to agree to disagree. But don't keep trying to convince me that what you're saying is right. Don't try to convince me that Donald Trump, the things that he said, even though they may be divisive and they may be racist, that he it, it, it doesn't matter. You have to look past that. You're not going to convince me to look past that. How do I look past that? Look at the policy. Don't worry about what he's saying. Are you serious? I mean, those kids, there's 500, over 500, is it 540 immigrant children? They don't know where their parents are. How do you look past that? Yeah, that's the thing that's like difficult about this is it's not like a disagreement of opinion. Like there are actual like human rights violations happen like unforgivable acts are being done whether it's like separating children or like they were doing hysterectomies on women in these detention facilities like this is un They're criminals yeah it, it's so- and what do you say to someone who says obama did this too that's see that's that's the problem it's like that's the problem it's like okay you're not you maybe you're not a bad person but you're so in this information bubble and you're so misinformed and so it gets it gets really difficult because like it's like you've fallen victim to radicalization you know what i mean you've fallen victim Mm -hmm, to this mm -hmm. information bubble so it's like you i'm trying to have empathy for you because you're not a bad human being you're just so misinformed and lost you know yeah but it's difficult when like your actions are contributing to like literal people dying in the street you know so it's i don't know so are you and and i oh go ahead marina go ahead no i was just gonna ask you if she's getting along with her family (laughs) (laughs) i don't really have a problem with my uh family it's more of like um maybe like a couple yeah i mean i'm always somebody who's been 
honestly, like I look at this younger generation and they're very intolerant, but it's because they're allowed to be like, they can find people who agree with them online and form their bubble. There's more diversity. There's more women in comedy when these younger comics are starting, like coming from where I grew up, where it's like, I was in 4-H in Illinois. Like, I remember going to a county fair and people were watching me eat like I was a fucking animal in a cage just because they had never seen a person of color before. And like getting and like not even malice in their hearts, just getting ignorant questions and being looked at a certain way. And it's like forming relationships with these people and like learning to love each other because I had to, I had to survive. Like this was my environment. So it's, it's one of those things where I think that was as much as it sucked, you know, I think it was a benefit because it taught me to tolerate other people and understand that these aren't necessarily bad people, you know? And also just like on a side note, like, having gone through traumatic experiences in my life, like I had to let go of hating other people so it didn't drown me. So I always try to look at somebody else with empathy if for nothing else, just so I don't drown on a basic like selfish level. So I'm very like chill. If I, I'm way less likely to disown or stop talking to, I might get frustrated. It might hurt me to see people saying or acting this way. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? Put you on a island? Like you're still walking around. You're still here. Like we have to learn to live together and hopefully try to get through to these people. Because also in that article, when they were talking about like, actually what we need to bring people over to the right side of things is more dialogue, not less. Like, and it has to come from people in your inner circle. Those are the only ones that can get through to you, you know? It's hard, but it is, I don't know, I think necessary work. It is, it definitely is. And, it, and the article was interesting to me because I, I have a family member that is going through that right now with friends, you know, uh, these different point of view. And it's really, it strains the relationship. And I just don't think that that's really, really necessary. We're all grown. You have to respect the person's belief. And if that person doesn't agree with you, that's one thing I find out about a lot of Trump supporters. If you don't agree with them, it's this manic thing to get you to agree with them and understand And You just think he's racist. You just think, but it's okay if I think those things too. That's okay if I think those things. But it's, it's crazy. And another thing that I don't like is that when you bring up a point to a lot of them, they'll always name drop. Who are you name dropping for? I get so <laughs> sick of hearing about President Obama, but when Obama, but when Hillary Clinton, but that, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you. I don't like the way that they spin. They spin to put it on you to get you to understand their point. It's like ludicrous. So I'm just like, if that's what you believe, I'm going to have to let you believe that. And you know, I... I'll just straight out say, sound like you've been reading some of that QAnon shit. I don't know. I don't know. Seemed like you didn't drift it down a rabbit hole. You know, I don't know we, what's going on. I haven't done. That's not true. And they'll tell you they're in the dark and you're lost. And But OK, let me stay in the dark because it seems more sane to me. Just like what you're, you know, it's the darkness, right? In this situation, seems more sane to me. And just like what you're doing seems more sane to you. 
So you go to that that route of sanity, and I'm gonna go this route of sanity. And then we just let's talk about something else that's going on, like the article said, in our lives, and let's move on from there. It's those those talking points from Fox News that they often use, and they just don't have. I was like sitting here going, should I bring this up? Should I? And she's probably going to listen to this. Who knows? But my mom, I'm not talking to her. Haven't spoken to her since, mm, it's been a while. Since probably March, April, probably May. Wow. Maybe June, maybe. Look, you know, I haven't never said this on the podcast, but, you know, and it is putting her out there, but this is her belief. She, she, she watches Trump. She's, uh. I don't know if she's changed her views since, but, you know, speaking to this, because I know a lot of people are listening and, and to probably hear my story will help in a way, but like for my mother to say those words to me, was probably the most painful thing I've ever experienced with her. Cause I'm like, you raised me. I grew up in this household. You're black. I don't get it. And then that was the, my first moment where I realized, oh my God, there are black people voting for Trump her listening to these talking points, because I really did not, I really thought it, we were all on the same page, just like with the masks. And when you're in quarantine and with this pandemic, everything starts to close in on you. And I, I mean, it really took me to tears because I started to think back to my, my upbringing and a lot of the things that I've said. And I was like, wait, where, where does she go off on this what happened? And then some people were telling me they were like, I was, and I got so mad. I don't see, I don't have, I'm not chill with it. I'm not at that place. You guys are so good, but that's me. Like I'm getting hot. I'm getting a hot flash right now. About <laughs> right. Look, I'm, look how shiny I'm getting. It, it makes me so emotional <laughs> and I get really angry and I don't want to sound like, see, I don't want to sound like a raging liberal either. Cause I, I hate the way they sound. And I, I don't want to say that either. It's so hard right now. But I, when, when I see people going, you know, you heard liberals doing that. It's like, you sound like a maniac, calm down and have your talking points, please. When I got into it with my mother, just to be specific, she did do that. So like, this is what you people do. And I go, you sound like every Trumper out there that just doesn't want to listen. She threw that at me. She threw the whole, like, he's done more for Black people. And she said, if you have an argument that can tell me that I'm wrong. And I'm like, what are you? I didn't have an argument. I was just furious, right? I was like, your grandchildren, what do you think they're going to hear from you? Are you serious? And, you know, it, it got so bad. And I insulted her. <laughs> Cause I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't have the conversation, not with my mother, not with my black mother about this. I was so like genetically disappointed on so many levels that if my therapist is listening and I know you are, please call me about it. But it's like, I didn't know what to do. And uh, she hung up on me because of my rage. I mean, I was furious and she just hung up on me. Yeah, I mean, that's just like a, such a human thing, you know? It's like, you might react with rage. I get sad. Like, it's both like... Yeah. It's, just... that, it's both. It's sad. It's sad. Rage comes from that sadness. and Yeah. So this article s struck a chord with me because I was like, yeah, I'm not talking to her. And my sister, on the other hand, she's like, listen, she's older. She's not going to be here longer. 
You've got to understand people have different points of views. I go, I'm not there. I don't care how old she is. She better get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, she may have changed her point of view since, but someone told me this. It's the older generation. Everyone over like 65 seems to have this point of view that Trump is is good, except for, you know, this pandemic has changed them, I'm sure. Not my, not my mother. Well, you're so lucky. She's not at all. She don't understand that my mother is very concerned about pre-existing conditions. She has some, so she's very concerned about that. In healthcare, she's retired, so she's concerned about Social Security and those type of things that seniors are concerned about. So, and she does clearly doesn't understand that he's done so much for black people. Whenever you ask Trumpers that stuff, all they can talk about is what he did with the 94 crime bill. Yeah, but it's an extension of something that President Obama had already started. I don't like the piece of the story. Tell me the whole story. You know what I mean? So that's the only thing they can say. He the crime building. What he did for HBCUs. Okay, and that's that's all I need. Son. That's exactly what she said. Yeah, that covers the whole spectrum. All right, <laughs> but the crime bill, right? It was what Joe Biden said in that interview was that it was even the Black Caucus was behind. Now, is that a bad thing that he says that? Is that like, look, y'all were down with us on that? I don't think that's bad. But the, this is how I feel about the crime bill. Firstly, the people I feel sorry for that are incarcerated are people that are mentally ill that shouldn't be there. Secondly, people who are wrongfully convicted. My heart goes out to those people. The other people that took penitentiary chances with a judicial system that you know is rigged against us, kind of did that to yourself. You know what I mean? You kind of placed yourself in this system's red tape. Yes, it's wrong for it to be for you to be fairly unsentenced and be sentenced differently from your uh, white counterpart. That is wrong. But you do have other options besides taking the chances and the route that you took. People make mistakes and those kind of things. I get all of that. But you still have different options. You didn't have to sell drugs. You could have figured out another way. It's a lot of people that came from your same circumstances that decided, I'm going to get it from the mud and I'm going to try to figure out another way. Wrongfully convicted or if you mentally ill, locked up, I understand that. My heart goes out for that. But a lot of people, they place themselves in that position to be in that red tape. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's always like personal responsibility, but I just feel like the consequence so heavily outweighs the mistakes. And it's like, that's that it's wrong. Like, yeah, it's just, it's not good. And the war on drugs isn't won this way. It's won by like providing rehab and other options. And like, you're only fighting, like, you know, it just doesn't make, like decriminalizing it, you know, doing all these different things. Uh, but And also we just had the woman, Diane Latker, on the podcast uh, from Kids Off the Block in the, on the south side of Chicago. And she really puts a face on the story of these kids in these neighborhoods who do sell drugs or who do not see a way out. She puts such a story on it because the, where are they going to go? Like, where are they going to go? They're going to go just to another neighborhood where the same thing is happening. And so you're right. It's like, like you said, Suba, like decriminalizing drugs and 
they're in such a predict like the way we look at the children in these neighborhoods is they are in a different situation yeah you know i'm from a different generation and so the opportunities when i was growing up and the things the other choices you had other choices from the children now they don't have anything now there were other programs and other options when I was growing up and people were deciding that they were going to sell drugs. And yes, Suba, I do agree that the punishment is harsh. It is too much for little of nothing. I do agree with that. But so we, I'm talking, this is a different generation. They really, really, you know, we did have recreation centers. We did have like boys and girls clubs. When I was in high school, we did have home economics and programs and everything to help you decide. Maybe you might not be going to college, but there were other opportunities and other fields that they helped you get into so that you could be out here working and be self-sufficient. All of those things are gone now in these neighborhoods. I'm so glad you said that because that is such a good point. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it, is a, it is a generational divide from what I'm speaking on. I'm speaking from when I was growing up, but I, I hear you what you're saying with the lady that came on about the kids of the day. It's a whole different situation for them. Well, on the south side of Chicago, she was also saying how this generation, the guns are passed down from their parents as opposed to the generation. But yeah. But the government steals from these young people, these young lives and like how hard it is, like once you're in the criminal justice system to get out, even if you've done your time, like recidivism is such a huge problem because they make it so hard, whether it be like meeting with your probation officer, uh, paying whatever fines, getting a job with that record. It's so difficult to get out from under it. Once like what has been stolen from these young people in these communities is like a bigger crime than what they did in the first place. You know, like yeah. a lot of these like and Joe Biden spoke to that in that interview. He did. He did. For the first time, I actually heard his talking points. I was like, I didn't hear that in any debate. The questions that she asked in that interview was better than the two debates I just saw, because he mentions about when you come out, what options do they have? You can't just give them 25 bucks and send them on their way. You have to give them a, a you know, because what's the, uh, what'd you say? The What's it called? Recidivism. Recidivism. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that mean? It means like you're returning to jail. No, no, no. It's okay. Yeah. No, because I was about to say returning to jail. It sounds like recidiv. It sounds like that would be the word. Yeah. No, that's- <laughs> no it's instead of yeah, jail is like being is the is the solution for every problem, even social problems, and it it just shouldn't be the solution for social problems like that. Yes. You know, it's just the solution for. But you know, Rayshard Brooks, the guy that was murdered in the Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta, he spoke to that same thing. He had a whole video where he talked about, you know, you feel like you do your time and that it's over for you and that you should be able to come out and, and get your life back. But they won't allow it. They won't allow you to do that. Is you still? He said you're still in jail even when you're home. Like Silver just said, the probation officer and, uh, you know, you can't get a job. And, you know, people looking at a lot of these people like they were like serial killers and killed 15 people and they just sold some drugs. Like, okay, I don't sell drugs no more. I went to jail for it. Why are you treating me like I was out here just, I killed 99 people. And it's like, I can't let you work for me. You might go manic. You know, you might go crazy on me. 
these people just sold some drugs. Why can't they get a job though? Like, meanwhile, the guy who's trying to buy the uh, Yankees right now, or there's a, well, I just shouldn't talk about something I don't know. Oh, <laughs> but there, there is, there is. I, see, I, I, I always go with my common sense, and somehow I, I end up accidentally brilliant. <laughs> uh, That's what I usually do. Is sometimes it doesn't work out, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but there's some, there's some guy. <laughs> that's trying to buy I think it's the Yankees right now and he's got like a not it's I guess white collar crime or he's done just some type of trade and they're like trying to pre- uh de Blasio is trying to prevent him from buying the team so it's like look at like their crime and what they can get away with and how they can still profit and how they could still move forward and then look at I mean, that's basically what I'm saying is like the differences between how white criminals look at the, even for the college uh, scandal. Look how long they spend in jail for just lying about their uh, their children being on the uh, what is the yeah, two weeks or something. I don't know. How long is Becky going? Yeah, it's a few weeks. I don't know the exact number, but yeah, yeah, two, three weeks, something like that. But but five years for a black mother. That lied about the child's address. I know. My God. To get her child in a better school. So five years. Is she still doing that time? As far as I know, I haven't heard about her getting out or anybody. I hadn't heard any more about her case. As far as I know, maybe not. I don't know. But. They should bring her case up every single time they talk about these white mothers who are spending two weeks for lying about their children. They should. That case should always be like juxtaposed. Always. I really feel like people are victims of their circumstance a lot. Like to sit there and be like, oh, I mean, this is a this is a personal philosophy of mine. Like, I don't really look at people as good or bad. I look at behavior, whether it works or doesn't in society. And then like, what can we do to reform that behavior? And then when it comes to like serial killers or violence, you know, like some people have sociopathic, you know, mental health issues. So maybe they can never really be successfully integrated into society. Like that's, you know, a smaller portion, a very small sliver of humanity writ large. But I, I even when it go like going all the way back to family members that are Trump supporters, like a lot of the reason older generations are falling for, oh, well, Trump has done more for black people is because that's the message they're being fed and they don't have the tech savvy or the tools. A lot of them don't to understand that they're being lied to. Like they don't know. So I should cut off my mom's cable. Delete her Facebook, cut off her cable. But no, that's that's a lot of what the problem is, is like they go online and they get the wrong information. And it's like, that's happening with right-wing conservatism all the way to the extreme, like right-wing terrorism, that problem we have in America. That's happening uh, in the Middle East with uh, that, like ISIS and like, them radicalizing the youth. Like it's the same thing. It's just people falling victim to conspiracies, to wrong facts, to being radicalized. And like our companies are helping do this because they get money. Like with whether it be with YouTube algorithms, like people are more likely to stay and watch something that's extreme. So they feed you more and more extreme viewpoints until you're all the way on the left or all the way on the right. And it's like, this is such a problem of like 
a circumstance that humanity isn't equipped to deal with. So it's like, we need to give people a pathway out. We need to regulate these tech companies. We need to help talk to people and get them to the right information so they can be functioning members of society. So as angry as I do get at people, it's like, yeah, I see how this happened to you. You know what I mean? Like, because this is something that did happen to you. I see them almost as victims of this and not to remove personal responsibility and like agency, but you have to also look at the fact that this is by design, you know, like there are other forces at play. And you you know, what's sad about this is because people don't trust the information they're getting anymore. They don't want to, they turn away from the news like this story. And I'm not going to say too much because I don't, I'm going to disclaimer this. I don't know much about what's happening in Nigeria. And I'm wondering why this is what makes me angry. Why don't I know a lot about it? Now, did I turn away from the news because I didn't trust the news? Was I exhausted by the news or was the media not covering the news story on Nigeria? And so Nigerian SARS protests in recent weeks, Nigerian citizens have been protesting and calling on their government to abolish a notoriously brutal and corrupt police unit called the Special Anti-Robbery Squad, which is that's what SARS is. It's not the disease. It's that special anti-robbery squad. The movement to end SARS has been trending globally with thousands of posts on social media, but not all of them are factual. A report from the BBC took a look at some of the misinformation and clarified the truth. For example, a striking photo of a woman, she was holding a, a folded Nigerian flag and sitting on top of a statue, and it was widely shared on Twitter. The image itself itself is real, and she was part of the anti-SARS protest. However, unknown sources falsely added to the photo that she had lost family at the hands of the police. Other misleading posts included a video of a Nigerian official reportedly calling the protest child's play and a photo of a Nigerian Catholic bishop supposedly marching with protesters, both of which were old and being used out of context. And there are also false claims circulating online that protesters should carry Nigerian flags to prevent the army from shooting them and that looting at a state mall was fake news. So my question is, this is what's happening now in Nigeria. This fake news is spreading there, but also the fact that the BBC reported this and not the actual facts, by the way, was upsetting to me in itself. The article upset me in the way that I was like, oh, so you're only reporting what is fake, but you haven't reported what is real. We need that. But I think they have a history of that anyway. Like the law enforcement, I don't care what country or whatever, to a certain degree, they're all the same to me. Not that I've been to every country in the world, but they all they all appear to be flawed. So when I read that article, I was like, yeah, in this situation, it's going to be hard to kind of figure out what the truth is and who's lying. This is the exact problem of uh, disinformation that that is literally poisoning the globe. And it is social media's fault. And it's it's so complicated because I am very anti-social uh, media. I mean, just because I think it's done so much damage to society. But also the reason SARS is trending again is because a video went viral. SARS has actually been a problem in Nigeria since its founding in the 90s. This has been an ongoing problem. And so it's it's so complicated because like, it leads to disinformation. It leads to radicalization. It's It's been shown, it's literally been used in right-wing governmental coups like Facebook has. It was used, um, social media was used to help 
create a genocide in a certain country. I'm forgetting which one it was specifically, but it's like, it's done all of these bad things, but at the same time, um, having videos of police brutality go viral is also what has caused mass action and outpouring. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like there has to be a way to get the good without this bad because there is so much bad. And at this point, I just I would honestly I would love to see every social media platform burnt to the ground. Uh, but oh, <laughs> Suba, be careful, because I I just saw your TikTok post. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you're going to be burning anything because I, I see you doing a lot of TikTok and I'm part of the problem. I would love for somebody to take it away from me uh, as well. <laughs> But um, but then the hashtag Black Lives Matter. But see, that's what I'm saying is like, I mean, look where that spiraled. Yeah, it's like these videos going viral is also what's it's like it's what's led to reform movements. But then it was also used to fuel and spur a literal genocide. So it's it's like shit, man. This is bad. Uh, it needs way more regulation. I think is like not a. I'm I just want to see it all burn. But I think if we regulated it, there is a way to get the good and minimize the bad but that's why you can't be getting your information off of social media it's like yeah okay maybe you could be like oh this is sparking my interest but then you need to go to the tried and true practices of accredited journalism for the facts people whose job it is to get it right who have a record of getting it right so like time actually did a big article on SARS that's why like I ended up like reading about the them there and that's where I got my information because if you're just looking on social media if you're just reading a headline it's really easy to fall for disinformation so and that is honestly what happens to a lot of the older generation is like we haven't been teaching media literacy in our schools because it hasn't been a problem until it's like a new problem. So it's like, sometimes I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, that's messed up. And then I have to, I always look at the source. I always look at where it's coming from. Is this a place that has accredited journalists? Yes or no. And if it's no, I can't take it as fact because so much so has- the shade room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> this is when her being here would be awesome because I think she's had that challenge, all that information coming in is what's factual, like TMZ, you know, because I, I would I found the shade room interesting in investigating and looking at it as being like the black community has never had a gossip sort of channel on such a mass level as the shade room, I would say. Right. Yeah. Where we're a friend of mine has one called I, well, I went to school with her brother. It's called Baller Alert. Oh yes, yeah, the yeah, Baller so Alert. That's her competition, right? I, I think it is, but they're both they're both sisters, so I don't want to say. Yeah, they both. It's enough for everybody, so they both sisters. So they're both doing it, and but they're doing a good job, and you know. But just because something is gossip doesn't necessarily mean it's discredited. Actually, TMZ has some of the strongest reporting, because if they get something wrong. It could like because they do play in gossip, it could immediately put them out of people not listening to them. They'll just say, oh, those are just one of those tabloid rags. So TMZ is actually really careful to get everything right. So and that's why you have to look at somebody's record, you know, like whether like the Washington Post has a good record. Time has a good record. TMZ, although I think a lot of what they say is trash, has a good record. You know, like if something's coming from TMZ, you're like, OK, this is probably factual, you know. So it's just about looking at somebody's record, who the journalists are, and like doing that work. I mean, what's happening uh, with SARS is is tragic because like they've been promising reform for years. Like, 
I think actually let me look it up. I think it was in 2017. I'm, I might have the year wrong. They passed a law banning torture. Like there was an anti-torture law passed, but nobody was prosecuted under that law. So, and it's like, they keep wanting to restructure things, but there's not enough money to actually get it done. So it's like, they keep saying they're going to make reform. They keep voting in people who say, or not, actually, I don't even know how their system works because I know they had a series of military coups, but they keep getting in politicians who say they're going to make change. And it's like, since the nineties, this has been a problem. Like they were voted one of the world's worst uh, police forces. Like that's how bad they are. There's like extortion, bribery, like all of this corruption and it hasn't been solved. And so it's so heartbreaking to see because like literally somebody on the ground was like, this reform isn't getting done because there's too much corruption and not enough money being poured in to fix the problem. So- And here's the thing. My friend wants to do a benefit She's trying to put together just a show to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. And they cannot ask for money. Do you know why? Mm -hmm. Because of all of the scams with Nigerians asking for money. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. It's incredible to me. Like, that is also part of the, what you're saying, the corruption is so, like, they can't even get together. I mean, not they, but this group, you know, is trying, but they have to do it in a specific so people can trust them to help them. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, that has to be overall the biggest problem with this story and why, you know, getting out is people don't trust the information they're getting. They don't trust the source. And it's really, it's tragic. And it's the thing is, is like, I was even watching like Godfrey talking about this on his, on his Instagram you know, and he's just trying to understand and get the right information. And people were coming at him and he's like, look, I'm a comic. I'm just give me a chance to understand this. Don't attack me, because I think that's the 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 sad part of all of this is while we're all trying to understand this. And maybe I'm sounding like a white woman trying to understand black people as I'm talking about Nigeria. And I get that's how it sounds. I get that's how it sounds. But please don't attack me. Don't come for me. I feel you coming for me. They're not going to come for you, Marine. I'm Nigerian. It's a heavy situation, and it's really a lot going on. I know. So I think it's the whole world is in a heavy situation at this point. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot going on in the entire world. So it's like, it's a lot. And and you can't really come for people. Like like, uh, Shuba said, you got to research, and you got to try to understand, like Garfrey said, and try to figure it out. And you know, just give me a minute to get this together, you know, to get this right. Just give me a minute. Oh, yeah, going back to the ball alert thing, like, she doesn't really do a lot of gossip. It's more like just different topic stories. Not all celebrity-based, you know what I mean? They're not all celebrity-based. A lot of them are they're in the news, and you can read them, and like she was saying, if you if it's on social media, you might say, okay, let me go see my... um. But they use they come from journalists, like people that wrote them from the news. So it's not all gossip. Well, I do know this. The Shade Room gets a lot of flack for, you know, the shade. Basically, I, I was reading some articles and people were upset about the representation of the LGBT community on the Shade Room, you know. But I, I feel like she's because she's also a black woman compared to TMZ. I don't I don't know if it's been fair. I feel like she's been 
attacked unfairly. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. She's been, it's, it's, yeah, she's been unfairly attacked, no doubt. Yeah. And then I also feel like part of the Black community is like, don't put all our business out on the street. So that may be why she's being attacked as well. Because we have a way of, the way we want to present who we are constantly. So this is, because isn't like the Shade Room and um, the Baller Alert, like we didn't have anything like this before. TMZ was mostly white, right? And Teen USA and all those gossips, you know, columns were mostly like, it's mostly white. And then maybe they'll cover a story about like, you know, Serena Williams every now and then, or, you know, something Denzel Washington, you know, looked at someone funny, but you know, this is the first time we've kind of monetized and own our own gossip on such a great, a grand scale. Am I right about that? Or that's it's the first that I know about it. I don't know. I sound. I feel like such an. I'm getting like. I'm becoming an old lady. Like I'm yeah, not. Cool. I am too. I, don't... <laughs> I really am. I think it's our age, Marina. I'm really like. And you know, I was just telling somebody that too. I was like, God. I was like, that's the only thing I hate about being an old lady. I'm reading like the New York Times, and I'm like checking in what's going on in the news. I remember I used to just didn't care. It didn't matter. I didn't care. I didn't care. But like you writing letters all the time. Marie. <laughs> oh, so many letters. So many. I have signs. We go to old lady status. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god look at this tenants tenants unite yeah uh, that's, that's, you want you want your old lady Marie. <laughs> please help the low infection rate and wear your mask in the hallways marina's gonna start handing out apples and dental floss for halloween <laughs> oh, this was the one anyone anyone concerned oh this is backwards so you can't really um, but it says anyone concerned about Lido and the new bar that is opening? If you are concerned, email me. So like my, <laughs> I have a serious problem. That's so my super was like, too, though. that's activism too, Marina. So don't yeah. feel bad. I try. My super yesterday was in the hallway without a man. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You got to wear a mask. He goes, Oh, can you make a sign for me? He actually said, <laughs> Oh my God. I said, what? That's so funny. He said, no, we know we know you put up the signs and you you make really nice signs because we could use another one. So could you make I said, stop it. Yeah, He's like, no, but, he said the landlord said he saw you on camera. <laughs> hey, look, Marina, <laughs> when you write that letter to uh, when they get the letter about Lido, the bar with Lido, you know what Poppy gonna say. He's gonna say, Not me. That thing they lady upstairs. She <laughs> Marina. She write the whole letter. Marina like the whole letter. It's not me. And that yeah. Is- <laughs> yeah. I know. I and then the black me. girl gonna say, "The one take the pictures." <laughs> I know. It's so funny. But it's because I'm getting older. It's like you know. I yeah. I think I I'm no longer in New York. I gotta get out of New York because I I I can't stand a lot of stuff. I can hear my neighbors singing all the time. You aging out, Marina, that you aging out up. <laughs> when I can hear them singing, I can hear him in the middle of the night. I can hear them shifting furniture. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, why are you shifting furniture at two o'clock in the morning? It's just stop it. And then there's a guy who laughs. 
I know this guy. I like know when he's like enjoying things at least four <laughs> to 10 times a day. Oh and I God. shouldn't. I don't want to hear his laugh. And I am a comic. I love people's laughs. I hate this guy so much. And I don't believe that he's happy. I don't believe he's happy at all. And I want to, I just, I want to know him. I want to say, you're the one. Oh my God. It's a problem. It's a problem. That's so funny. Anyway, I, I'm not going to keep you guys too long. I was going to do one more story, but it's too, it's too sad. What is it? It's so sad. Okay. <sighs> On October 26th, Philadelphia police officers shot and killed a 27-year-old black man named Walter Wallace in front of his mother. And according to eyewitnesses, Wallace was holding a knife, but he was not charging at police officers when they shot him. Many are now questioning why the police officers resorted to lethal force when they were not in immediate danger. In a statement to the press, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner stated that his office's special investigation unit will be investigating the shooting. In response, protesters took to the streets of Philadelphia to demand justice for Walter and his family. I, I saw the video and I, it's hard for me to watch these videos. It's really hard. I mean, here's the thing. I don't understand why the police came to this scene. Do, have you been following this story? A little bit. And I, and I think that they were called um, from what I understand, from what I heard. But the situation was explained that he did have mental issues and that there was a bipolar issue before they arrived there. I don't know. I just wish the police could use their de-escalation tactics like they do with white people. I wish that they could practice that with us. You know, I mean, clearly in the video, you can see that his mom and there were other people out there that were trying to calm him. You know, it was an issue. And I just wish they could use their de-escalation tactics. But one of the disturbing things that I heard when his father was on uh, the news with the attorney and the attorney said that because I was all, I was like, well, couldn't they have tased him or something? But in Philadelphia, they don't have tasers. Shut up. Girl, that's what the attorney was saying. I was like, he was like, you know, why, why weren't they, they don't have tasers. The attorney was saying that they get $135 million in their budget for the police department. And they, these officers, the only thing that they have is deadly force. Now, I think they might have on a body camera, but they the only thing they had to use was their weapon, you know? And I'm like, but I just like, even when they use their weapon on white people, they don't use it the same. All of those shots like that, even if you felt that he did have a knife and your life was threatened, even if you felt that way, I just think you could have shot him in his leg or somewhere just to get him on the ground so you could control the situation. All of those shots just was very unnecessary. I so. would need to see that fucking budget, you know, like where did that $135 million go? Why haven't you invested in less lethal options? They don't yeah. have tasers. Are you kidding me? This is what the lawyer said. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, what do you mean they don't have tasers? Oh because that was a big question. Why didn't they tase this man? Like, that's one of their de-escalation tactics before they use lethal force. And his lawyer was like, they don't have tasers. And I was floored oh by that. God. Now, if his lawyer, if his family's lawyer is wrong, that's one thing. But when he said that, I was like, what do you mean they don't have tasers? What does that mean? Why not? Most of the cops, I believe, this is my opinion, are mentally ill themselves. So you're sending like, sending a mentally ill person in to take care of a mentally ill person. So it's like, 
there, yeah, there's no de-escalation, you know? One thing that does give me hope is I looked up the district attorney and he is a, a criminal justice reform activist to the point where oh, good. I think like, I mean, I'm hoping he still stays with this record, but like, uh, I think it was last year or a few years ago, the Republicans uh, actually passed a law to try and take away his some of his power uh, when it came to like prosecuting or like not prosecuting people because he was such a activist. So I am hoping he actually like, it looks like this is a man who would actually bring charges against these officers. So I'm hopeful in that regard that their family will see some sort of justice, but, um, and not paid outside of, cause I'm getting tired of them getting paid instead of justice being served. I know it's so ridiculous. And then to be like, we don't have the budget for tasers, but we'll pay millions of dollars in these lawsuits. And then to like have it come out of taxpayer funded money, as opposed to their, like the officer who did this pension, you know, like, no, this isn't appropriate. Yeah, they said they didn't have tasers. And then uh, another report said, like, now this might not be true. They might be doubling down to stay out of trouble. Like, maybe one third of them might have, some of them have tasers. But just that it's not mandated across the board that they all have tasers. Like, that's just nuts to say. Well, he, these two officers didn't have tasers, only maybe one third of them. No, no, if they don't all have tasers, they don't have tasers. They should be equipped with tasers. It's nonsense to have police officers out there with no DX, de uh, escalation tactics except to shoot you. But they over, they kill us. Like if you have to, she's coming at you with a knife. And like a lot of people are complaining, saying, well, he didn't charge at him. Well, if you have a knife on them, there's a possibility that they're going to shoot you. Let's just be honest. You know, that, especially a black man anyway. So they go, but I mean, like you can shoot in the leg. You can do things to make a person knock down fall to the ground so you can get control of the situation. All of those shots, they shot him. It seemed like they emptied the clip on him, both of them. And it just like, it was too many. It was uncalled for. That's the thing. It's, yeah. Even with like the Breonna Taylor situation where it's like they did nothing to value the life in that apartment. No, they did When it came to not knocking, when it came to the police officer uh, hand, doing something against protocol and shooting in from the side like they did nothing to value the life in the apartment nothing um it's just like because they don't they don't live in the neighborhoods that they're um yeah right yeah a lot it, of them that most of it most of them live in the suburbs a lot of them don't in new york today they just i i don't know what her title is but it's a black woman that was just hired a major position i don't know what the position is of course so my reporting is a little off. Sorry. You could you could Google it if you want, Suba. I'm going <laughs> to write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> let me see. Let me see if I can yeah, find it. Why the host of Friends <laughs> Like Us. <laughs> you don't have to worry. Uh, Suba is going to re do her research. Suba's like, what? I know. She's so she fast. She's going to be all over the Philadelphia Police Department. <laughs> like, what are you guys talking that's what his lawyer said, and it just like threw me off because I had never heard anything like that before. I was like, "What do you mean?" I didn't understand what he meant. You know what I mean? Because like every other police force now, they everybody has tasers. So oh, here it is. When he's like, "No," I was like, "What?" I got the story. All yeah. right, now. Well, maybe I'll tear. Let me see if I'm going to tear my letter up. Should I tear my letter up? <laughs> or or, or what should? Can I tear my letter out? As a letter writer, I think you're justified in starting the letter, actually. But Chief, <laughs> what? <laughs> I do. I think you should You have a right to complain. Uh, in this case, yes. Chief Juanita 
Now we know already, right? Yeah. Juanita. Chief Juanita Holmes, named Chief of Patrol All right. as NYPD shuffles top brass. The NYPD's first black woman to become a three-star chief has now become the first woman to be named the department's chief of patrol, officials announced on today. And Police Commissioner Dermot Shea announced her promotion during uh, Mayor de Blasio's press briefing, which was the first press briefing that de Blasio has had that I actually listened to because I can't stand him. She has walked the walk and talked the talk, she said, as home sat nearby. And she understands the city and she understands the importance of neighborhood policing. She's the complete package and I couldn't be more proud to be here with her. Now, this is a start, right? Mm-hmm. Can we be excited? I mean, like, I was so happy to see this. Now, I don't because it's like, yes, she reflects someone that looks like me. That makes sense. And she talked about stop and frisk and she said she calls it stop, not frisk. She goes, because when stop and frisk, I understand the arguments of stop and frisk, when it's not done right, yeah, it's bad. She goes, but when it's done correctly, it's good. So, you know, we'll see. We'll s- I know. I, I see you, Suva. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But the problem is I, you can, I can hear what she's saying, but the officers don't follow that. Right. That's what she's saying. You know, if you walk in down the street and somebody just snatch you and throw you up against the wall. And a, one of the biggest problems that I see with officers too is when a person asks you, what are you detaining me for? I don't understand why they ha- think they have the right not to answer you. They just won't answer. Then they say you're re- resisting. How am I resisting if you telling me I'm not under arrest and you have no reason for detaining me? So I'm resisting because I'm saying, let me go. You're not giving me any reason to uh, uh, handcuff me or detain me. So how am I resisting? I'm, I mean, I, I don't need to be here. So I'm trying to get let go so I can go on about my business like I was going since you're not giving me an explanation. That's all I'm saying. They don't that, think we deserve an explanation is yeah, what I'm feeling. Wrong. I, I, that's wrong. But I, I do find like the the one conversation we had on the podcast with my friend Isis, who used to work, she used to investigate the police, is that it is important to recognize them as being human too, the police officers, and to, you know, like a lot of our black friends are police officers and are in the force that we want. We want them to do something about this. You know, like, I think that's a step in the right direction, right? These conversations with black, our black friends that are police officers. I just like the system is so against anyone trying to make positive change right now. Um, There was another police chief who was an African-American who was, I think it was a police chief. Um, I'm forgetting exactly position but had to be a police chief african-american man wanted to make a lot of reforms was firing problematic officers and then the police unions were getting these officers that he fired put back on the force the system of policing is so broken that we need these people in there trying to make changes we need them but we also need to be like focusing on our city council, focusing on like holding these politicians accountable because like when it comes uh, to Walter Wallace and that tragedy, it's like we need a separate mental health emergency response team. We do, desperately. We need somebody who's trained to deal with this, who understands this behavior, who can tell them, don't don't fucking shoot this man. He's sick. He needs help. So with all their budgets, that's not in the budget. And that's when when people talk about defunding the police, it's like, 
I think a lot of it gets misconstrued because unfortunately is such it is a strong statement, but what they're talking about is taking money out of like uh, more people patrolling and doing stop and frisk and like putting that money into having like a mental health response team, having people who are trained to deal with the homeless actually deal with our unhoused neighbors as opposed to police officers. They're not trained for that. And like, they don't want to be dealing with that shit. Like, that's not why if they wanted to deal with homeless people, they would have become a social worker. So now you're putting somebody who doesn't have the proper empathy for these people who isn't trained. And now they're interacting with our most vulnerable citizens. Like, how does that make sense? Like we need unhoused neighbor, like a special team for that. We need a special team for mental health crises so that it can be dealt with. And like this training of like, it's, there was honestly, it was on John Oliver's show where he was talking about hero training, which is the exact opposite of de-escalation where it teaches them that every day they go out, they could get shot. It teaches them to see everybody as a threat and how a police chief actually tried or somebody up uh, further up the branch tried to ban it. And police officers were just saying, you know what? I'm not going I can't officially tell them to go and take this training, but I can encourage them to do it on their off time. And they were still getting that training until we find a like way to like weed out this mentality and fire the officers who think like this. Like there's not going to be any change. Like, and until we empower the people who do want to make these changes to like get rid of the police unions from reinstating them or like actually give them the tools they need to make this reform, like nothing is going to change. It's it's like even in uh, Minnesota, it was so heartbreaking because the city council promised they said they were going to reform the police. And then now they're going back on their word. And it's just like shit. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's so heartbreaking because so many things have to change. This isn't one small thing. This isn't just putting a body camera on. This is the system is broken. It's broken. Yeah, it's broken. So, yeah. And you can't just change the argument to from defunding the police to something that is likable to people who think we're, you know, anarchists, right? Because <laughs> yeah. remember when we said uh, Black Lives Matter and they didn't understand and now they do? Yeah. You know, like I, I see all these news, um, these campaigns in New York City for people who are upset about this person ran and against police officers. He was talking about defunding the police. Meanwhile, 9-11 happened. How dare you talk about defunding the police? And it's like, you don't understand, sir, in your campaign commercial, what defunding the police is. Yeah. That's the problem too, Marina. People, when they hear defund the police, everybody's like, oh, just get rid of the whole police. Nobody's saying that. And a lot of people use that to sway people to think about defunding the police the wrong way. Mm -hmm. It's going to be no police. When you call the police, or no, it has to be done. Because like Silva said, the system is broken and it has to be revamped. We can all agree that the, you do need law enforcement. Yes, it's, it's a necessary thing. We do understand that. But the way it's working right now, that has to change. That's Juanita. Hold it up some more. I can't see Juanita. Oh yeah, I see Juanita. Yeah, Juanita getting in there. Getting in. So it's just not. It's, it's it's it has to change. And I think once it changes, I think 
it'll be a good thing. Like when I was growing up, it was a thing called Officer Friendly. Did you guys have that growing up? I heard, I remember Officer Friendly. Yeah, in DC, it was Officer Friendly and Officer Friendly would come to the school and he was very friendly. He talked to the kids and made them feel, you know, good about the police, feel warm and fuzzy about the police. And I do think when I was growing up policing, it appeared to me to be different anyway. It didn't appear to be this way. And then the police officers even had a band in D.C. that they would go all to the schools, just in touch with the community, called the side-by-side band. You know what I mean? They were the side-by-side band. The police officers, they would come and show their other talent of being able to play instruments and sing and those kind of things. And it goes back to, though, living in the communities you policing. Like a lot of the police officers, even when I graduated from high school, I knew a lot of them. I went to school with their nieces and their nephews. And then some of my friends that I went to school with, they got on the force and stuff like that. But they still were a part of the community that they were policing so they understood what was going on. You know, the things that's happening now, it's just I mean, it's just so obvious they don't have white people need more black friends. I mean, they just, they're not around us. They don't understand us. They don't look at us the same way. They're scared of us. And then they're policing us. For what, us. though? For what reason? Because they don't, un- they don't think about us they, or they don't have to, right? And then when they do, it's like, oh my God, what is it? But for what? And also, reason? I mean, but that's like systemic racism at its finest, you know? Yeah, because like, like, what are you afraid of? Like, what for what reason? It was like, whether like law, like the whole law and order thing was a naked attempt to appeal to racists um, and just being like, oh, we're going to keep people of color in check. And it's like, historically, like black people in America have been painted as like criminals or like dangerous, you know, going all the way back. Oh God, how am I forgetting the name of this film? Uh, Forgive me. But like in media, like that's just been what it is, whether it comes to like, that's why people were so mad at Hillary Clinton for her super predator comic, because it's so dehumanizing. So this is like the legacy of like slavery, of dehumanization uh, in our media, in the way we talk about things, in our laws. So you internalize it. We all, you can't, I don't believe you could grow up in America consuming media and not have internalized bias. I don't believe you could. Uh, I don't think that makes you a bad person if you're actively working to confront your bias and like train against it, but you have it, it is in you. And if you don't grow up around black folks, if you're not in that community and all you're consuming is media, that is in you in a very problematic way when you're put in charge. So that, that shit doesn't surprise me at all. You know, like, it's just like, oh, and that's another thing I wanted to say about um, SARS in Nigeria is um, they were talking about the legacy of violent policing is a holdover from the way the British treated them. Like the whole military coup, like everything that's happening is like a ripple of colonization and like that violence that was committed against that community initially and that they took over the same governing and policing strategies. So it's like they inherited violence. Yeah. And it's like, all that would be a great book title. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't that be a good book? That's what I'm good at. Book titles. Inherited (laughs) violence. (laughs) It's true. And like people get mad when you bring up history, they're like, that's in the past, you know, like you'll hear conservatives like slavery is in the past. It's not. Like its legacy is living with us today. And it's like, absolutely. You can see the effects of it in our community. 
And none of the people that are living today, uh, Black people were slaves. But the effects of it, we still deal with it. The thing, the, tra- the trauma of it, we still deal with it and we live with it every day. Look, the fact that, that Dominique is not a household name is the effects of slavery. Yeah. I'm going to say it right here because Dominique is hands down the fu- one of the funniest comedians ever. And she should be a Thank household you, name. Oh man, I really want to see you perform now. You too, like, yeah, you too. Oh, she's oh, she's Marina too. Though. I mean, Marina too. Oh yeah, oh, of course, yeah. Marina's. Uh... But I looked up to Dominique, you know, and it's just like, yeah, you know, the the injustice of entertainment industry. I mean, I, you know, oftentimes I try not to talk about it because you know we're like you know things being important, you know, doctors and police and all, but in our stories being told so that we're more human. That's why it's important that we hear from a comedian like Dominique, that we hear from a comedian like Suba, you know, because then it will make us more human to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a book title too. Yes. And you do a lot of writing letters. You should start writing your book. Because <laughs> you're a writer. You're a good of writer. all the letters I've written, well, I'm. we're going to come to a close. This was, you know what? This was really great. Maybe I should do more of just, just the three because when I do four, I kind of don't, but this is like, I, this was great. You guys were awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. Suba, let our listeners know where they can find you. I'm on Instagram, S-U-B-H-A-H-A. Uh, I'm on TikTok, Suba Comedy. I'm also on Twitter, just at Suba, S-U-B-H-A-H. Um, and with friends like us, you learn the importance of writing letters. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That was good. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. Uh, Dominique, where can our listeners find you? And- My uh, Instagram is Dominique D O M I N I Q U E Comedy C O M E D I. I was just spelling comedy different, so I spelled it with the I instead of a Y. I have a comedy special on Amazon Prime. It's a Stop Me When I'm Lying. It's called Dominique Witten. Stop Me When I'm Lying. So you can go check that out. It's old. I've done it some years ago now. So you can check that out on my own. And I do a podcast now. Marina, I have to get you in my podcast. I want Silver too. I, I, I love thought Silver was a, 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 a great guest. I do it on Tuesday. It's called Dominique the Podcast. And we just sit on there and we talk about different topics and everything. We laugh. We talk about different topics. I had one of my QAnon friends on last week. So that oh. was, yeah, I did, you know. So he came on and um, my cousin called me. He was like, okay, when I was looking at this show, he was like, I- I've never seen you look like that. He was like, you didn't even blink. He said you were just listening. <laughs> he said you and Mark Theobald were like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but I mean, I have to, I love him. That's my friend. I hear him out. And I think, you know, I let everybody come on. Maybe he might reach somebody, but I just like to understand, you know, and all of that. So I said, okay. I, and so with friends like us, you'll also learn what it's like to become an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I feel like these all apply to me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But uh yes, Marina Franklin here and yes, we got t-shirts available for you now with the new logo. We also have face masks 
available with the new logo. And I will be using UPS, I think, from now on, <laughs> if not priority. And definitely, please continue to follow us on Patreon and leave us a donation there. It's really important because I always notice, like, on, you know, other podcasts with white guys, their Patreon is, like, skyrocketing because their fans really support them. So go to our Patreon page and show us that you really appreciate this free content that we're giving you quite often, weekly even. Weekly. And, uh, yeah, so with friends like us, you can have... You know how to shift when a guest cancels because you have such great friends. Such great friends. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It was great. We had a good time. Check us out. out. Did we do it right that time? Yes, yes. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Just like gold, it's so so pure, it purifies my mind and lets my spirit soar.